Hello, and welcome to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. And in today's episode, I'm talking with Boyd, who arrived in Australia at 18 years of age from Zimbabwe. And I'm going to talk to him today about his experiences of growing up and going to school in Zimbabwe during a time of great change for the country. And also getting some of his reflections on some of the advice his father gave to the family to help them adjust to their new home in Australia. So. Let's get into it and see what Boyd's got to say. First question, uh, pretty simple. Tell us about where, where did you grow up? So Zimbabwe, I was born in Harare, which was previously known as Salisbury during the Rhodesian days, 1970. I spent the first 12 years of my life in Harare and then moved to a town called Bulawayo and ended up at high school on the border of Botswana and Zimbabwe, therefore for my high schooling years. And then in 88, moved to Perth, Australia. So... Can you describe a bit what it was like growing up uh, in Harare or Salisbury? What kind of place were growing, you? Growing up. So the first 10 years of my life, there was um, still obviously a lot of uh, fighting. The war was on, uh, the independence war. And, the, you know, I mean, the, the, there were issues, obviously, safety issues. But I, I've got to say, I couldn't think of a better way to be brought up. It was an amazing, an amazing country. And um, the freedoms that we had, you know, you just get in the afternoon you'd be sent out to play with your friends as long as you're home by by you know night time and everything was fine so no mobile phones nothing like that it's just the bush telegraph if if mum or dad needed to get you home you'd send a houseboy or a garden boy or somebody out to find you and bring you home so it was it was a wonderful upbringing a wonderful upbringing so what were the sort of typical activities for a, a child in Zimbabwe at that time? Well, during school, we would uh, go to school, finish um, at lunchtime, and then we would have sports in the afternoon, uh, school sports. So the sport at, at the primary and senior school level in Zimbabwe was magnificent. It was all you know taken by teachers and it was a full afternoon of sport. And then, yeah, back home for a bath and some dinner and to bed and all over again. So, you know, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful times. Uh, a lot of very, very close friends, even I still have them today, you know, going back to when I was 10, 11, 12, um, and certainly high school friends, given that where I, where I was was a boarding school, so they became family. So, you know, 450 brothers, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. So were you, you know... In your school years, were you aware of the uh, situation going on in Rhodesia? In junior school, um, as I say, independence was in 1980. Dad was um, fighting in that war, so I didn't see a lot of him for for those first 10 years of my life. I mean, in actual fact, my sister, who's two years younger than me, um, saw Dad for a grand total of about four months in her first 10 years of life. So he was always out in uh, out in the bush um, doing what what he did. And you know, I mean, you you would occasionally see Mum in tears because somebody she knew didn't get through the war and, you know, just hoping, cross, fingers crossed, that, it, you know, we wouldn't get the call and it would be dad at some stage. So there was stresses and things like that. But understand, of course, that I was 10 years of age when that all finished. So, you know, it, it's what I was brought up with. It was what I was used to. So, you know, uh, life still went on. I used to go to school. I had my mates. I used to play sport. Weekends were, were pretty full with sporting matches and, you know, down at the the local sporting club watching watching the cricket and hockey and tennis and so on it was um it was a full life 
And it sounds like it was quite an ordered sort of way of living mm. for a child as well. Yeah. yeah, and incredibly, believe it or not, incredibly safe. You know, you, my parents didn't think twice if I wanted to walk off to school or, or ride to school or go to, you know, um, the sports club or go over to a mate's house, something like that, who's three, four, five Ks away. I'll just go. I'll just, I'm, I'm going to, you know, Jeff's house. See you later. Off I'd go. Um, and there would be no, no issues. So the area where you lived, was it more, was it a built-up area, suburban area? Yeah, yeah. So it was um, a, a town called Marlborough, and that's in Harare. And yeah, just a suburban a sub- suburb um, of Harare uh, where, where we grew up, sort of middle class, certainly not, not the low class and certainly not the high class, but, you know, lots of friends around and, and very safe. Yeah, yeah. And did you say you mentioned that you went to boarding, boarding school? Boarding school, Was yeah. that for high school? For high school for high school. It's uh, a school by the name of Plumtree, Plumtree High School, an unbelievable school. And I could be corrected here, but at one stage there were more Rhodes Scholars out of Plumtree High School than any other school in the world. Mm-hmm. So um, wonderful, wonderful school. Very discipline orientated. There was, um, which, which it had to be going through the war, being out in the middle of the bush. I mean, it was a hundred kilometers away from the closest town. There had to be a very, it had to be very almost like a military type school where if a senior to you told you to do something you did it without question so the discipline was there and yeah you, you knew if you didn't do as you were told um <laughs> you'd cop a bit <laughs> and so i get and i guess if it's so so far far out it was sort of a bit of a self-contained yes little yeah, so so it's in a little uh, town called Plumtree, which is, I mean, mo- most of the population were the schoolboys um, at the school. Um, and it was all, yeah, like I said, self-contained. We had all our sporting sporting fields and, um, you know, grace halls, and, and we had our own little hospital. Um, and we had a, a, a big parcel of land that was attached to the school that, you know, during the weekends, if you wanted to go out camping or go out for the day, and go fishing or whatever you just you could go and do that in high school let's not forget by the time I went to high school it was now Zimbabwe it was an independent country it was being run by um, uh, ex-president Mugabe in short at primary school no I didn't know, but it's not something as a as an eight-year-old that you're actually yeah. Yeah. looking for was there inequality Absolutely, looking back on it, absolutely. Was it was it right? No, it wasn't right. You know. But having said that, the unemployment was very low. You know, everybody had a job, black or white. I had several friends that were black that used to used to come over to the house, and you know, we'd mess around outside or swim or play tennis or whatever it was. Some of my best mates at primary school were black kids. Right. Um, so there wasn't the level of segregation that was in South Africa. Never was. Um, well, certainly not while I've been alive. That's not to say back in the 50s and the 40s and the, the 60s, maybe, I don't know. But, I mean, South Africa was, that was next level. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, there was a degree of class, like there was a, a, a bit of a separation between that class and that class. Nothing compared to what it's like now. Going to high school in Zimbabwe at the time, what did you have any sort of 
dreams or hopes for the future? What was sort of... Listen, after independence in 1980, I remember Dad coming home and um, I remember him coming home once, um, you know, the, the new regime was going to be put into place after Mugabe had won the, the election. And you know, understandably, he was a little bit upset and um, decided, that's it, we're packing up, we're leaving, we're, um, we're going over to Australia. Bearing in mind that my grandparents were living here, uh, both my uncles were living here, so it was, was a matter of being sponsored by them to come out. So that was in 1980, and we put um, the wheels in motion to come to Australia. He was offered a, a job in Bulawayo, which is Matabeleland, where Plumtree High School was, with BP and Shell on specific contract for a term of. So he took that up. We applied to come to Australia in 1983 and towards the end of 1987 we were eventually accepted into Australia. It was it was a long drawn out process, many interviews, many um, medical exams and so on. And then of course I wasn't privy to it but a lot of paperwork that was being done and a lot of um, you know letters to and from grandparents and uncles to dad backwards and forwards to the you know to the Australian government and so on so it, it all took a long time I finished my schooling there and yeah we eventually got the the nod to come out at the end of 1987 and we um, packed everything up what we were allowed to take anyway and were in Australia, Perth, landed in Perth in May of 1988. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's quite a long, quite a young age to, for such a big move, I guess. Yeah. So how, how did you feel about it at the time? At the time, you know, I mean, obviously when, when I was in Zimbabwe, I had, like I said, 450 brothers from school, you know, I mean, it was a lot of friends. And whilst in Zimbabwe and going through all the farewells and everything everything else, um, heartbroken. I knew that it was for the best, but still, you know, at that age, 18 years of age, saying goodbye to, you know, um, all your mates, girlfriend, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it was difficult. It was difficult getting on, on the plane, but the minute we were on the plane, we <laughs> we were upgraded to first class, so that helped. So we got on the on the pointy end and headed over. We arrived in um, in Perth, and a friend of my dad's had uh, came to pick us up at the airport, and um, he we were going off for a, a seafood lunch because we being landlocked in Zimbabwe, we didn't get any seafood over there. So the first thing Dad wanted to do was have a lobster. So as we were leaving the airport, interestingly, Dad turned around, I was in the back seat, turned around and said, "Boyd, I want you to remember this. You were born in." Zimbabwe. You were brought up in Zimbabwe. You love the country. You love the people there. But this is Australia. And what I'd like you to do is whenever you're talking about Australia to people, you need to refer to Australia as being home. Zimbabwe is a place you were, you were born and bred at in, and you will always love the place and the people there, but it's not your home anymore. Australia is your home. And psychologically, I think it, it, that has helped me hugely um, because there are a lot of Zimbabweans and South Africans that I know that have come across and have always referred to Zimbabwe and South Africa as home yeah. and I think it makes it all the more difficult to settle somewhere when you when you think when you don't accept the place that you're in as home and it's just it's just a word and and for 
the first couple of years actually, or first 18 months, I actually physically had to remind myself, Australia is home. Okay, well, what do you think of Australia? Australia is home. Yeah. And, but it helped. And I've never had an inkling to, to go back and live in Zimbabwe again, just, you know, putting aside all, all the, all the nonsense that's going on over there and has been for a few years now. I've, I've never had, I've never had that, that pull to go back and live there. What would you say are some of the key differences that you might notice between Zimbabwe and Australia? Well, it's interesting. We we had the, we had the choice that came out in '88 of coming to Perth or coming to Tasmania, where my uncles lived and uh, who were sponsoring us out, and my grandparents. So we had that choice. We decided Perth, uh, and the the reason. Well, when I say we decided, my parents decided Perth, and I was along for the ride. Now, the reason I'm led to believe that they chose Perth was two. One, it was it was that much closer to to Zimbabwe if we needed to get back because my eldest brother was still there with his wife and, and um, three kids, so it, it was close to get back, well closer than Tasmania anyway. Because back then, of course, you'd have to fly from here to Melbourne, Sydney, to to Perth, to Madagascar, to and so on and so forth. And two, um, Perth was probably the closest from what we saw in in the time that we we'd been over and had to look for you know holidays and things like that was the closest setup to what what Zimbabwe was same sort of climate same sort of extracurricular activities and sporting clubs and so on and so on. so and and also there there were an awful lot of Zimbabweans that yeah I was um, going to say that the, I there. think um, Perth has got one of the biggest concentrations of yeah. South African Zimbabweans South African Zimbabweans yeah in fact sure. when I was living there there's a South African club yeah there I remember going past it yeah yeah so there's a bit of an expat. There is a bit of an expat, but you see what what we did differently to what a lot of uh, a lot of South Africans and Zimbabweans do is when they when they do come over here, they literally go out and look for South Africans and Zimbabweans right. to socialise with and to have their uh, brides with and you know drink their beer with and so on and so forth. Whereas we didn't do that. You know, we became friendly with our neighbours through uh, you know people we met through work through the sporting clubs and so on and so forth. So the majority of, I mean, we knew a lot of Zimbabweans, we knew a lot of South Africans, but it wasn't as if we were living in their pocket. Yeah. And what happens with a lot of them that do live in one another's pocket, then they start talking about, you know, oh, you know, if we went back to South Africa, if we went back to Zimbabwe, we could do this and we could do that and we could make a plan to do this and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, they're back in Africa or they they go to an Australian's house and it's all about, you know, remember when we, when we, when we, when we. That's so therefore, they've yeah, so they become known as the, as the Wenwees. We never did that. I mean, we would go and see friends that we knew from Zimbabwe and we might have a dinner with them or something like that, but it wasn't a, something that we would do every weekend and, you know, a big group of people. And, you know, don't get me wrong, um, there are times that could be 20 Zimbabweans in a place that you end up at and you'll have a, you know, knees up massive bender, but <laughs> but it's it's not it's not something that you do every, well, we certainly didn't didn't do every weekend. Father really wanted to draw a, a line under the Zimbabwean history and make a totally make sure you all had a new start here. In Absolutely, um, it, it's it, and I can understand why he did that. Yeah. And if it, if it were me in his shoes, um, I, I would want to do the same with with my kids um, because it's important. I mean, I, I I'm one that you can't look 
back. I mean, that's yeah. that's history. You, you've, you've got to look at what the future holds. And if you're always looking over your shoulder as to, you know, what's happened, um, it's it just it, it clouds the future and you just yeah. you can't move on. So, bit of a fast forward. How did you end up in Tasmania? I um, I was managing um, Winter Win TV in WA um, for almost uh, almost ten years. So yeah, they they bought me over. They bought me over um, July last year uh, to work for for Win. And fast forward that through to November, um, we we parted company. And um, thinking that, okay, well, I've got a bit of holidays due to me. I'll, I'll take a little bit of time off and then I'll look for something else and we'll see where we go from there. Uh, and then COVID hit. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm now not working. I'm, I'm just doing a little bit of work for, for people here and there, um, advising. And, um, um, yeah, just generally trying to keep busy. When you do say... You're from Zimbabwe to Australians. What, what are the what are some of the reactions that you typically would get? Generally, um, somebody will say to me, "Oh, you're from South Africa." Uh huh. Because of the accent. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I'll I'll say, well, well, close, but I'm from Zimbabwe. And occasionally they'll go, "Oh, what's the difference?" Yeah. Um, Is that a sore point for Zimbabweans? I think uh, I listen um from from what I from what I can see people that left Zimbabwe or Rhodesia sort of the time I did mm-hmm. um it, it can get frustrating because there was always that that rivalry between Zimbabwe and and South Africa on the sporting fields and so on and so forth mm-hmm. um and of course Zimbabwe being British heritage and South Africa being Dutch heritage, there was always a uh, it was a Australian New Zealand type rivalry. Yeah, right. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, when somebody asked me, oh, well, what's the difference between South Africans? I'll, I'll act as if I'm annoyed with them. What do you mean? You know, but you know, I, you, you can understand that. I don't think I've got a strong um, African accent, um, but you put me in a room with twenty Zimbabweans, and before I know it, I'm I've got a broad African accent again, and and speaking the local language, which I didn't even know I knew. <laughs> oh, it's just it's just crazy when you yeah you get to yeah. Well, you tend to mirror years. mirror other people. I think I think so. In that, I think so. Um, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I think um, my um, I knew a Scottish guy once that um, was asked, um, "When are you going to When are you going to change your accent?" He'd been out of Scotland for fifty years, and he said, "When I find a better one." <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's one of those things when you when you've when you've got it, you just it, it just becomes part of you, mm. and it. If, if you changed it's part it, part of your identity. Yeah, if you changed it, it wouldn't be you anymore. Yeah. I believe you've, but you've been back to South uh, Zimbabwe 
<laughs> yes, so. yes, a few times. I um, I first went back there in 1991, I went back there for the first time. Again, back then, everything seemed okay. There was a little bit of uh, US dollars being traded on the black market or British pounds on the black market. But, you know, back then, the black market for a British pound to a Zimbabwe dollar was 10 to 1. And then every time I went back, it got worse and worse and worse and worse, um, you know. You had poor people over there that are retired, living comfortably on their pension, you know, month in, month out to when when the hyperinflation ha- happened, you know, the money that they were going to get for an entire year on their pension wasn't enough to buy a loaf of bread. It was just just ludicrous, just crazy, crazy stuff. So, so I, you know, I've been back a few times. Last time I was back was about seven years ago. I took dad back there and we went uh, fishing on Lake Kariba. I mentioned that yeah. place a little earlier, just on a house boat went floating around the around the lake which is big lake it's not just a a little a little 10 acre lake i mean it's good size lots of game fishing tiger fishing fishing for tiger fish not tiger okay Uh, (laughs) tigers (laughs) you know it just it was great and taking dad back there was the last time that i think he's gonna make it to africa and um you know, we're, we're out on, on the lake and he was, you know, pointing out spots where, where he had been deployed to during during the, the war years and, you know, telling me a few stories of what happened there and what they did there, and the, 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 which which was the first time he actually opened up to me about what actually happened yeah. when he was out there. You know, I've always looked at Dad as being this old bloke that, you know, a lot of history and a, a lot of experience and everything else. And about four years ago, my mum actually said to me, did you know that your dad, was younger than you are now when you came out to Australia. And I just thought, bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was the first time. That was the first time he was um, 70 years of age and it was the first time that he opened up with pretty much anybody with regard to, you know, what was, what, what happened and, you know. So do you think he'd been trying to forget about it or he was just wanting to sort of protect you from this past oh, I don't know I don't know if he I don't know if he wanted to forget about it but I, I, I don't think it was something that he wanted to to talk about with with family I'm yeah. sure that if he got together with some of his army mates they would reminisce about it but um, um, yeah I don't I don't think I think he probably wanted to shelter his family yeah. from it because um, I mean the war ended in 1980. Yeah. Um, it was a month before my eldest brother was about to be called up and taken, you know, at the age of 18 years of age yeah. um, to be thrust into something like that. So as far as when, when the war ended, it couldn't have happened at a better time. Um, you know, the war finished and thanks very much, you're on your own. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it was just an African thing. I think it's... I think anybody that comes back from from war should be should be taken aside and and offered the help that they they need. Yeah, yeah, have yeah. a debriefing process. Oh, yeah, but I think it needs to go further than that. Yeah, yeah. there's debriefing and there's actually, you know, sitting down and and you know, somebody digging into it and getting their feelings out. Yeah, because I think after. After 30, 35 years of him being in the war, and what was coming out was 
something that he probably should have talked and spoken about, you know, a lot earlier than that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we hear a lot of stories uh, of a similar nature about men who've come back from conflicts and yeah, yeah. don't talk about it and then just it manif- can manifest itself yeah. years later in yeah. various ways. Yeah. Even in, and, you know, in the old days, like after Second World War, people just didn't, didn't really know what it was. It was no, just that. no. I think, I think also Africans being Africans, um, you know, oh, I, can, I can handle this myself. I can do this. Yeah. You know, I don't need to see anybody. I can... Yeah. And then the night terror said, and then this and that. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you, you mentioned to me before that your father uh, suffered yeah, from that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I, I used to go fishing with him um, every year out onto the Abrolhos Islands, um, which is just off the Geraldton coast in WA. And um, we'd just be on the fish, in the fishing hut and we'd just be in the room. He'd have a bed there, I'd have a bed here. And, and you'd go there for 10 nights and probably six or seven of those nights you'd wake up and you'd be, you know, shouting and, you know, thrashing around in bed and pushing imaginary people away and get out, get out, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. But, you know, that's that's also part of the whole story of the country as mm. well, isn't it? That's right. There was a whole generation of yeah. people affected by that conflict yeah. in yeah. in different ways. I saw a, I saw a photo the other day um, of a couple a couple of guys in, in a helicopter during heading out during the Rhodesian War, uh, mm-hmm. young young white guys, and oh, I promise you, mate, I looked at that and I don't know if it's because I'm getting a bit older, but they looked like they were about twelve years of age, wow. and they were there with their weapons, mm-hmm. you know, being flown into conflict zone, um, you know, just looking at each other, going, you know, you could you could almost read in their minds like what have we got ourselves into <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's crazy i mean I've, I've got two kids one's 23 one's 19 and i'm thinking my 19 year old you know god He'd, he would have been you know in the services in conflict for a couple of years now already yeah had it been back in those times yeah yeah it's a scary thought yeah. 